Hello everyone and welcome back to The Platform. This is the Station House audio series. We are back for yet another chat with Larry Broadbent. He is the guy who uh, started hanging around uh, eating fish and chips at uh, BX Tower and uh, you know hanging around St. Thomas and eventually got himself on the, on the payroll. He's also the guy who painted his uh, Conrail engines the wrong color because he used the paint right out of the company barrel. And you know how inaccurate that is. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> so, Larry, you went from the car department uh, into the locomotive side um, at the at the shop, mm-hmm. and uh, so you were an electrician. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. And uh, take us take us through sort of the, the the decline of Conrail in Canada, and sort of the next steps in your career. So, what became of Conrail uh, in in Canada when you were working there? Well, uh, all was good with with Conrail. We uh, there really wasn't a problem with uh, with money or anything. They, they we seemed to have whatever we needed. But uh, when Conrail near the uh, after after a couple of years in Conrail, the United States government and the, the United States were had an issue with uh, their tax money coming up to Canada to operate a, a railway through Canada. So the the funds started drying up, and uh, the trains started started disappearing, and they were running on the through Cleveland on the south side of the lake. We were losing our what we call our through our through trains, and uh, finally we wound up with uh, just our locals. And uh, about that time, Conrail had decided they want to sell their 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 Canadian assets. So the, the Canada division went up for sale. There was a, a few people that were interested in it, but in the end, uh, CN and CP were the successful buyers. This was around 1985? Yeah. So uh, CN and CP made lots of promises, which didn't come, th- come true. To make a long story short, uh, people were basically laid off gradually. Not enough not a, a huge, not a big layoff that would make a big uh, splash on the paper, but just kept nibbling away at us. Till... So you be, you became a CN employee. Yes. Yeah. But CN, I was a CN employee, and to make a long story short, we wound up that uh, in the end, I I was the last locomotive employee in Canada, and uh, Charlie Smith, who was a carman, was the last car department employee, and I, I maybe not in Canada. For, for for me, it was in Canada. For Charlie, it was in St. Thomas because there were still people working at uh, Niagara Falls and Windsor. Sure, and, and you were on a on a mobile truck. Yeah. So they uh, uh, we at we were in the shop. Then of course they wanted to close the shop up. Didn't want to have to maintain that big shop. So they they fixed up a room for us in the, uh, the for the depot, the Conroe Depot there in St. Thomas, and Charlie he had a big block truck, which was like a mobile re- repair uh, truck that had air compressors, welders, high up crane, uh, could, could haul wheels around, had a winch. It was was a, it high rail equipped or no? No, it, w- no. it was not high rail equipped. So uh, we had that, but of course I couldn't drive that. 
because I didn't have my license. Charlie did, so CN gave me a call and said, you know, we, we want you to drive that truck. We'll pay to uh, for you to get your, your D license. So Charlie, Charlie would take me out and we wound up, I got my I got my D license so I could drive the truck. So I wound up, it was uh, me and Charlie working for, for CN out of the Queso Depot was it in St. Thomas. No, it was still in, the, in Conrail Blue. Conrail Blue cab. Yeah. With the Conrail lettering. Uh, which, it got patched into CN. Patched to CN, but still blue. Still blue. Still Conrail Blue. And it was <laughs> right, right to the end. And and our job wound up, we were like, a, we would travel. One day we would uh, we would go to uh, the Ford plant, look after the two or three yard engines they had out there. And then we'd go to St. Thomas North, look after the engines on the Cayuga sub. And another day we'd go to Godridge, uh, look after the engine that was signed in Godridge. And another day we'd go to Stratford, Guelph. And you're just Kitchener. doing you're doing running repairs, yep, yep. taking oil samples, yep, things yep. like this. Any, anything that that broke, we would you know, we'd try to get them running. Uh, we we had to rescue a, few, a couple of bud cars around Stratford one time. Was there a common malady, like or a common problem that you you saw all the time? Dead batteries. Dead batteries. <laughs> yeah. They forgot to uh, throw the knife switch. Yeah, or else they were just crappy batteries. Yeah. Like I uh, I had kind of a, a way that I quite often, I instead of dragging out all the jumper cables and having to get another local jumper off, I I uh, found I could leave half the, like the locomotives, the engine have cocks on each cylinder that let the water out when they've been shut down for a while. Test cocks, they're, they're called. I would, uh, I found that if you opened up half of them, that cut the, the compression down and quite often you could just get enough life out of the battery to get it to go and that saved me dragging out the cables but yeah that, that was uh, on CN that was basically our job was uh, traveling and I enjoyed that job too I it, it was uh, nice it was on, on the road you got to, got to see things how were the hours with that job was it sort of a day, day thing job or? yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I was on call like 24 hours a day I like I was a couple of times I got called three o'clock in the morning, go out to the Ford plant because they had uh, two engines. They would they would side swipe out there. It wasn't unusual to to get a call, but uh, were you compensated well for those? Oh yeah, calls. Yeah, yeah. that's never, good. Never a complaint. No, I, the railroad was. I I would have never left. But uh, so how did it all come to an end at CN? Well, they uh, finally uh, it was just down to two of us, me and Charlie. And then we, we got our layoff notice. This would be about July, June or, June or July, that they were going to close down our jobs in St. Thomas. 1988? Yeah, it would be 88. Yeah, 1988. So what was your next move uh, career-wise? Well, I was. Uh, we were sitting in our little uh, office there in the, in the, the Queso station reading the, news, <laughs> reading the newspaper because by that time there, we weren't doing a lot because they'd basically taken all our work away Instead of servicing, what CN did is instead of servicing engines off, they would just take them all back to Macyard, just keep changing them out. So the servicing was gone. So we, we didn't have much much to do. So the writing was on the wall. We got the we got the layoff notice, and I'm sitting in the office there, at the desk reading the news newspaper, and I see, oh, GM uh, GM Diesel. They got an ad in here. They're they're looking for uh, assemblers that because they're increasing production in London because they closed down the Lagrange plant. I thought, well, that might be a good uh, good, good spot for me to go. 
Now I've got lots of railway experience, so uh, and an electrical locomotive electrical experience yes, too. Yes, yes. So yeah. uh, on GM products. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I told uh, Mr. GP Seven. I told Charlie about it, and and uh, so I, I said, you know, I think I need to go over to London and uh, and check and check something in the yard over there. So I hop in the the big blue block truck that we call it, CN block truck. Drive over to Manpower <laughs> on CN time <laughs> and go into Manpower and put my application in for GM Diesel. And uh, about two days later, I get a phone call and uh, they want to have an, ha have an interview. So I go over, driving my own car this, this time, go, go, go get, get interviewed. And uh, about two days later, I get a phone call again. We need you to go to an orientation course in a week. I, you're hired. You're like you have to have a, a, a medical, and we'll hire you. And we want you to start in two weeks. Oh, really? I said, uh, I I won't be laid off here until uh, till September. They said, Well, we can wait till se September, but we're hiring about uh, twenty people a week. So if you wait till September, there's going to be a lot of people hired ahead of you. So you're and again, it's a seniority it's seniority thing. operating. So it wouldn't it be in your best interest to get over here as soon as possible. I said, Okay. I'll figure something out. I'll be there. So uh, went and had my uh, medical, my orientation. So I was all set, all set to go. Then I went talked to my boss on CN, who was he was a, he was a good guy. Ray Ray Leach was his name, and uh, he knew. Of course, he was the guy who gave us a layoff notice. He knew. He knew what was coming. Yeah, he knew what was coming. So I told him what my issue was. So I said uh, I got holidays, vacation time left. So I know I'm not laid off till se September, but they want me to go and work over in London in a week. So can I take my, my holidays? And if I uh, like it over there, I'm going to quit. So he says, sure, not a problem. He says, go over there, see, see what you think of it. If, if you like it, just, just come back and sign the paper. That's what I did. I went to work at GM Diesel for two weeks while still employed for, with CN. That was a great pay period. Yeah, yeah, double pay. <laughs> and uh, make a long story short, I wound up staying there. Because uh, I, I knew that uh, I didn't want to be working in Toronto. That's where I would have wound up working on Seattle at Macyard. Yeah. And I actually looked at house prices down there, and they were just crazy compared to what I was paying in St. Thomas. So I thought, you know, I I, I got to be on welfare in St. Thomas and live better than I could down at Macyard. So I uh, took up the job at GM, which was a good paying job, and worked out well for me. And I worked there from '88 to. 2010 when so, I retired. So you started off as a you started off as a in assembly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what the first locomotives were being built uh, when you started there in assembly? Oh, easy. <laughs> they were Go Go Transit F59 PHs and the CP Red Barns. And the Red Barns. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the Red Barn uh, fiasco with the uh, there was some issue with the prime mover and they ended yeah, up getting I, filings in the crankcase. I was involved with that because by I only worked on assembly for about six weeks. Was that whole Red Barn fiasco your fault, Larry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, personally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've yeah. been looking for someone to pin it on, and looks like we found our guy. I know the. I, I know the, the. I'm gonna beat you with a wet noodle when we're done here. <laughs> Why don't we pause here for a second because this is interesting. So let's just fill people in and what what we're talking about. 
So uh, on CP, uh, the 9000s uh, in, in 1988 were um, the SD40-2Fs, mm-hmm. uh, colloquially called the Red Barns by rail fans. And they were delivered to CP, and then CP promptly took them, uh, sent them back to GM because it was my understanding that there was uh, metal filings in the oil or something, something yep. to that nature. It was the uh, wrist pins bearings that were failing. The wrist pin wrist pins. bearings. I, I believe that's how, that's what it was. Uh, what had happened by, by this time, I, because uh, GM was gearing up so fast after closing down Lagrange. I wound up in the uh, test department very, very quickly because of my background, and uh, so I had the. I built some of the. I, I wired some of the red barns, but then by the time they were in test, I was there for testing the the, the red barns. <laughs> I guess we're gonna keep calling them red barns. Sure. We, we didn't at the time. Yeah. But they were just we, the CP units. We can call them red barns. <laughs> so, uh, but it's still all your fault, Larry. It doesn't yeah. matter what you call them. The whole problem is CP's fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> because here we go. By this time, we were building. Uh, we had the 710 engine, and uh, the, that was uh, the direction we were going. But and we hadn't built the 645 engine for a long time. The 12 cylinder or 16 cylinder. But CP, because they had so many SD40-2s, they wanted more of them. So that they they didn't want this 710 engine. So GM said, "Okay, well, we'll we'll." Built these with 645 engines. Well, but the trouble is that the CP's, I mean, GM supply chain for 645 engine parts was dried up. Like they, they, they didn't Because they'd moved on to the, the 710. 710. So yeah. they, they had to get uh, fine manufacturers to make bearings and whatever. Uh, apparently one of these manufacturers, are, the, the parts weren't up to snuff anyway. So we made up the, made up the engines and they went out in service, and next thing you know, these bearings started failing. So CP promptly sent all these red barns back, and they were sitting around London for a long time in, in, the, in the plant. And so they were investigating these failures of the, these bearings. So they were trying, they were, first they would change the bearings, and then we would have to like literally run them in throttle eight for 24 hours. And that was like one of my jobs I was doing, you'd, you'd get on at the beginning of your shift and run for eight hours and you'd get off another crew would come on and things just keep running and running and running. So they, they would run it and then they'd shut it down, send it over to the back in, into the building where they had engine guys. They'd strip the engine down, check the oil and check the, the bearings and they failed again. So this, this went on for months actually until they, they finally solve the problem in the end i must because they were still working do you do you know if there was and and don't don't uh don't give away any inside baseball if you can't but i'm going to ask the question do you know if there was ever any talk of them just saying well forget this let's just put seven tens in it and be done with it no because no. cn was ad i mean cp was adamant they 645 they, they did not uh, want to change yeah because they got like all these parts for 645s yeah. and they were set up for 645s yeah. They didn't want to the, the, bring in the, a new engine. The, the the man hours expended in trying to solve that problem must have been astronomical. Oh, terrible! Yeah, yeah. Think of what it cost. I mean, imagine it was considered warranty work. Oh, definitely. So it's on GM's dime. Yeah, yeah. And it went, you think about it, that was other than uh, 
until the, until they they built the engines down at Ogden, the SD uh, 9043s. That was the, the last engine. Like uh, CP didn't buy an engine office for a long time. Well, in '95 there was the big AC 4400. Uh... Uh, experiment yeah yeah and they they went big time ge after that GE, yeah but, uh, yeah that was uh it, cp was never a, a friend of gm after that yeah they sure were before that though yeah yeah lots of uh, sd40s in fact it was it i think the three larry you, you'll know more about this maybe than i do but i think the three largest owners of sd40-2s i think up was one mm-hmm and then either CP or BN was two, and the other one was third. CP, was CP was CP two, and BN was three? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know UP, BN, and CP run in my mind. Is huge. That, yeah, yeah, huge. Huge fleets. Yeah. UP, of course, was number the, one. They've yeah. been the biggest of everything. But, uh, yeah, that was a great working locomotive. It's funny. I was just talking to uh, a 40-year a um, CP guy uh, just the other day uh, who retired in uh, engine engine service. Um, and he, he, uh, we were talking about the SD40-2 and he said to me, he said, if his, his line was, and I'll quote him loosely, he said, put three of those SD40-2s together and you can move the world. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a lot, a lot of the old heads, uh, loved the SD40-2 It is sort of the quintessential all around locomotive of the day. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever heard people extol their virtue but oh i've heard yeah no, a lot of guys really i've like never heard anything bad about the sd40-2 and i've never heard anything good about the jeep 35 <laughs> <laughs> yeah or the jeep 30 <laughs> yeah yeah well the jeep 35 on cp was a bit of an albatross because again this is secondhand information i didn't run them but a lot of guys a lot of hoggers complained that the jeep 35s um, were did not have enough ballasted weight for for their horsepower, and so they were quote unquote slippery. slippery. Yeah. yeah, which again, slippery by slippery, we mean they not good rail adhesion. They yeah. they'd spin. Yeah, they they, they weren't uh, but very popular. Yeah, and then of course uh, with those uh, with the turbos, um, that added a maintenance expense too because turbos had to be uh, maintained. Yeah, it was a, it was a very expensive extra horsepower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jeep thirty five, not so great. The SD forty dash two, a winner. CP got a lot of Jeep thirty eight dash twos as well. Yeah, it's the dash two that was the magic number, you know, the magic part. Yeah, and that so the dash two remind me the dash two was uh, modular electronics. Yep, and where the straight an SD forty, you open up the high voltage camera there, and there'd be like fifty relays in there and masses of wiring. And then uh, you opened up an SD40-2. It was like half of everything. And then, but you had your modules. So for main, so on. for maintenance, it was plug and play. Yeah. If you had a bad module, it'd be like changing a light bulb. Yeah. You just unscrew it and put a new one yeah. in, and yeah. away it goes. Yeah. Just nothing to unscrew. Just pull it out. Yeah. So you worked about six months in assembly, and then they yeah. fast tracked you. No pun intended. They fast tracked you into a locomotive tester. Tell, tell us about the testing facilities at GM in London and and sort of what that job entailed. We uh, the the switcher would, would like once once the engines were at first they were they would be painted before we got them. Switcher would, would bring them over. We'd put fuel, lube oil in them, water, and they'd shove it into the our test facility that could hold four locomotives. And we would uh, we we had a test spec we followed, probably about. 
hundred pages. Did you have a dyno? Was it like a sort of a locomotive dyno where you could spin the the traction motors in no, place? No, no. So you had a test track. Yeah. Okay. Which was the uh, Crumlin siding on C CP out back. So the Galt sub part of the Galt sub ran behind the plant. Yeah. And yeah. In, the, in the passing track there, it was uh, probably our test track was like three quarters of a mile long. And that mile and three quarters of a mile long, we would. Uh, well, I've I've had them up to fifty. <laughs> I'm, I'm retired now. We won't tell anybody later. <laughs> You're already in trouble for the filings yeah. on the crankcase yeah. on the uh, bread barn. So. That would be the uh, the, the VF. <laughs> what are they? F. What are the, the F40 VF? pH? F40 pHs. Yeah, the 6400s. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. They would move right along. You had there. one of those up to 50 in the Kremlin side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Larry, a, a whole actually. different picture of you. <laughs> a pair of them, actually. A pair of them, yeah. <laughs> well, you can't double head with one. <laughs> but, yeah, and that so, must have been a fun job. Oh, it was. I, I'm yeah. so I'm, I'm lucky because uh, most of my jobs, like I, I can't say it, it was fun building them, you know, on wiring. This is hot work. This yeah, is hot was, grunt work. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of boring. We're just cutting wires and stripping them and lugging them and sticking them on terminals and tie wrapping them in. Uh, but you know, it was a well. It was very well paid, and uh, I was I wouldn't have uh, left because <laughs> it was well paid. And uh, but uh, so for testing, you you um, the the they were painted. Uh, the plant switcher would put them into this area. You put all the fluids in them, and then you would put them through certain paces. So you'd have to do, I would imagine, some sort of load testing. Yeah, like basically, like you did insulation te testing, high potting, meggering, and then you'd you'd hook up the batteries. And uh, there was a whole multitude of tests and resistance checks, and you get the fuel pumps running, and you get all this, all the systems up running. Then you'd uh, what they call pre pre lube them, because uh, an engine, all the bearings wouldn't be oil in them. So we had a separate pump that we'd hook up to the locomotive, pump oil through all the, all the bearings, and start it up for the for the first time. That pre lube system was that something you just used temporary, or was that pre lube system part of the GM package that came with the locomotive? No, it was something temporary. Okay. Some some orders like the ones for Britain, they had a built in pre lube pump, but uh, North American, no, I don't think there was any that was included in the locomotive. Would you be privy to? Well, I guess you would be in testing. You would be privy to all the different accessories. Can you recall some engines that were tricked out more than others, and and railways that spent money maybe on sort of the, you know, maybe air conditioning or, oh, or, yeah. or perks versus like, who was notoriously cheap? Um, if you mention CP, I'm going to throw my coffee at you. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure I, we already know the answer to that one. Um, but, you know, there were different amenities, different accessory packages and things. Can you think of certain engines that were sort of Cadillacs and railways that spent the money and then other things that were maybe a little more uh, bare bones? Oh, easy. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to duck. C CP. My coffee's gone. You're lucky. <laughs> CP Norfolk Southern were cheap. Cheap. Yeah. <laughs> like they were the the railways that still had the the green garbage bags for toilets. <laughs> Can you wow. Imagine. And uh, like the uh, especially like uh, I because we didn't build too many when I was there. CP was sort of there. I never really had much involvement with CP until the Red Barns come along, but uh, the Norfolk and Southern ones, they were like what they call the spartan cab uh what were you building there was that a sd sd 60s sd 60s yeah. we built they were a huge customer of ours we, we built hundreds 
SD sixties, seven ten, yeah, prime mover, yeah, but cheap, cheap, yeah. cheap, cheap. No accident, like no air conditioning, like the the floor was just the hard fiber or whatever wood, whatever the, you know, it was. There was no no sound deadening, uh, like say the Spartan cab, just the the old fashioned heaters. Definitely no air air conditioning. Did, you, did, uh, any of the, did any of the American locomotives get hot plates, or was that just a Canadian thing? Uh, I think just a Canadian thing. I can't think of any uh, American orders that had hot plates. Actually, the, the, the most tricked-out locomotives were the, uh, the BHP for Australia. Broken Hill Properties, I think that stands for. And they're the ones that got loaded at London Airport? No. Were they loaded there? No, that, that was the one that went to Ireland. Ireland, okay. The Australian ones go by boat? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they went to the one of the coasts and then. Yeah, yeah. Like they had uh, because they had one one man crews that went hundreds of miles all by themselves. They had like CD players in them, you know, hot plates and microwaves and like I say, the guys would bring their own uh, setup so they could plug in their Walkmans to them and hook up headphones. Yeah. Now you left GM. Uh, you took a buyout. The tenure locomotive uh, building in London was coming to an end. Tell me about your last days uh, on the job there. Maybe what locomotives were kind of last out the door when you were there and uh, how things had changed. They were, uh, the, the last ones uh, would be the, when I was there was CN, SD Aces, I guess. SD 70, no, it wouldn't Se- be Aces, it'd be M's. 70 M's. Because that was before that. CN made the, the jump to AC. Yeah. What were they like? Oh, the CN locomotives were. Uh, CN spend the money? Yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I, I would say they were up in the the, the top seventy five percent for what they'd put in their their locomotives. They had nice seats and uh, microwaves, hot plates, nice cab. Uh, I think by that time they had they actually put air conditioning in them too. But yeah, CN was good. Uh, what else we had around there? A lot of BNs. They were, about, they were about the same level. Most of the railways by then, I think the unions had got got after them about the you know, comfort. And so the cabs definitely improved. Yeah. I remember driving down Oxford Street past the plant. Um, I grew up in, in Woodstock. And I uh, before I could drive, uh, my parents used to take me to Bruffdale Hobby uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So we'd come up Highway 2 uh, into London. We would come up. Uh, is it the Crumlin side road by the airport? Yeah. Yeah, we come up Crumlin side uh, to um, side road to the airport, uh, turn left on Oxford and go straight across Oxford Street and then up Highbury and then past the GM plant. We'd go. My dad would always go past the plant because I'd always want to kind of look see between, what was sitting out front. Yeah, or out back. And I remember there also being a lot of uh, UP engines. Those would have been SD seventies probably then too yeah, at the time. Probably. Yeah. We we built a thousand SD seventies there for UP. Yeah. Did you build any four-axle uh, engines uh, during your time? Yep, uh, for Southern Southern Pacific and Santa Fe. The Jeep 60s? Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me that maybe I did go by there when there was, uh, just, were some painted cotton belt? Yep. Yeah, there were some When I first belt. started there, that was, there was uh, Go, C, CP Bread Barns, and cotton belt. Jeep 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And the Jeep 60s got a 710. Yeah, in it too. Yeah, but the uh, the uh, Santa Fe Jeep sixties they were really nice because because they were the only Jeep sixty that had the the wide cab mm. and they were painted out. That's when Santa Fe brought out the brought back the uh, silver and red 
war bonnet scheme. And that was before the merger. That yeah. was it. Ninety six, I think, was the merger with. Uh, it would be just uh, just before that. Yeah. Yeah, they they were sweet. They're, they were the really nice looking locomotives. Yeah. So you really you you really got to operate a real cornucopia of locomotives. Yeah. That yeah. that really you wouldn't get to run otherwise. I mean. No, no. I, you know anything. I, I pretty well ran everything GM. And then, like on top of all these domestic stuff, we were always doing uh, export, like for uh, Taiwan, uh, Egypt, Ireland, uh, Britain, you, you name it. Like and like you say, Indonesia. The one, the one went to the one went to London Airport and went out on an airplane uh, to Ireland. Yeah, actually, uh, they flew that over to to Ireland, and then uh, me and our buddy, they flew us over after it and and we were the ones that uh, commissioned it and got it running in ireland in ireland oh that must have been interesting so i, I spent like a month and a half or so in, in ireland all expenses paid yeah yeah how nice was that fly over business class because if you flew overseas gm would pay you had to you went business class okay yeah nice great <laughs> what did Living they in have dublin a, for a month yeah did, did they have similar uh, track gauge in ireland broad gauge it's it brighter lighter. yeah yeah it was funny because you know the locomotives were so low and, but the, they were wide. Were those Irish locomotives double ended? Oh yes, they they were, they they were the most complicated locomotive. Cabs with. at each end, right? Yeah, yeah. There was four four control stands in them. Two both sides of both ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they they were they were tricked out. They were they probably had they had active noise reduction in them. From a, active noise, noise reduction. reduction. From a, it was the same system they put in helicopters. Where it would have microphones, it would listen to the noise, and it had speakers all around the cab, and it would send out a pulse to nullify the the other noise. Was supposed to supposed to. Wow. They loaded those up and with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Head end power. Uh, so I say four control stands. Yeah. I don't think the, those Irish locomotives wouldn't have MU capabilities. Would they? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They did. MU full MU. Yeah. Vacuum brakes. <laughs> they, they were a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. But but by that time were you you were out of assembly and you were into testing Test, yeah, at that yeah. time. And, and they even had dynamic braking. Wow. Yeah, they were they were and they had they had so much stuff in there that they actually paid the price cuz they had a lot of problems. It just got too complicated. Yeah. 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 It was it was a kind of deal where the way I understand is that the uh they got a whack of money from the government to buy new locomotives and the the guys on the railway just said, okay, sign me up. Checked off all the boxes. Yeah. Give us the good cup holders. Yeah. 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 And the the plant switcher uh, that was at London was actually a former THMB locomotive. At one time. At one, one of time. them was. Yeah. yeah. It, NW2. Uh, was it an NW2 or was it an SW? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Did you ever get to run that? Did you ever run the plant switcher? Yeah. Just uh, for repair purposes. Yeah. Like yeah. Not as for work. Do you know what became of that engine? Yeah, I think it's, I think Lampton Diesel got it. Lampton Diesel, I think. Yeah. I remember Down it sitting out, I remember it sitting out front. Looks so small with like a big UP SD70M yeah. or something yeah. behind, behind it. And then we got the, uh, we got the grain switcher. What was that? It was a uh, S. SW1001, I think. Okay. It was like a newer model. Yeah. It had GM paint on it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And then they they sold the uh, the THB or the THB unit. You think it went to Lampton Diesel? I, I think that's who got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Larry, thanks again. This has been great. You had uh, quite the career. And uh, uh, another day I want to get together. Uh, you had mentioned uh, in an earlier chat, we had started to talk about the uh, Pinafore Park Railway at Pinafore Park in St. Thomas. Uh, I want to talk to you about that in depth and about the Broad Bears and the involvement there. Maybe we'll get the Broad Bears involved in that one and some of the other players and we'll have a we'll have a, a group chat about that because that is that was that was a fascinating railway the pinafore park that was uh the only time in my life i saw a chessie system locomotive as a child uh eye to eye because when we drove into the park i recall seeing chessie locomotives across the street at mm -hmm. the cno facility yeah i didn't know what it was at the time because i was too young it's probably 1983 maybe mm -hmm. Um, but uh, who knows, you might have been at the, the railway that day when, uh, when quite, I went for a ride on it. Quite possible. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Larry. Uh, this, is, this has been great. Um, I'm going to sign off here, and we're going to go uh, check out your model railroad. All right. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This has been The Platform, the Station House audio series. Via detector, milepost, 5.51. Detector out.